0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you have your Bible with you, I would love for you to open it to Mark chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be talking about verses 1 through 11. Uh, this morning. Um, Joe talked about it. Um, it's that time of year. Um, spring is spring is upon us and you can feel the hope um, in Joe's voice that we're not going to see snow again. Um, but we live in western Nebraska and we know that that's just not true. Um, I think every year that we've been here, except for one, it has snowed on Mother's Day. Um, so I'm just sharing with you reality um, But I'm living in hope and anticipation of spring. Um, Over the past few weeks at our house, we've been getting, um, getting all sorts of things ready for our garden. We got a new raised bed garden this year. Um, that we've been filling with all sorts of compostable items because those things take like 50 bags of dirt that we don't want to go out and buy. So we're filling it with everything else uh, first. Uh, we've been making plans. Actually, Ann has been making plans for our next batch of chickens uh, that are coming. And this year, she wants to have quail um, in our backyard as well in a in a coop. So um, I'm a, I, well, I don't know that I'm excited about that. That was going to be a lie. Um, I'm ex- I am excited that she's. Excited I'm excited that um, to help her uh, fulfill her dream of having chickens and quail in our backyard. Um, a lot of us have started our spring cleaning and decluttering, and then there's another group of people who make their appearance, people who we haven't seen since the end of last year. And I'm not talking about those people who show up at church at Christmas and Easter. Um, I'm talking about what we college football fans call the spring game. Right, the spring game. Um, it's awesome because we get a hint of what the fall is going to hold uh, for whatever teams we, um, whatever teams we uh, happen to cheer for throughout the school year. Um, it's the year where it's the time of year where quarterback controversies begin, and we begin to wonder: Is this our year? Um, it's also the time of year where every team has a win. Yay! And every team has a loss, right? Who won yesterday? Nebraska. Who lost yesterday? Nebraska. Um, but it's a time of anticipation. It's a time where we're looking forward to something else. And today, on the, like the, the church calendar, um, the Christian calendar, is the thing that Christians call uh, Palm Sunday. And it's a celebration and it's a reminder of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the week that he was killed. We call that week Holy Week. And as Joe said, we have a, we have a number of different things going on. You'll find one of these in the back. Um, each night this week, we have something different happening in the building. And we would love for you to come and be a part of that. Tomorrow night, we're having a a night of prayer. So we're going to have a time in here, and then we're going to split up into groups. We're going to pray. Tuesday night, we're going to have something called the tabernacle experience. It's kind of that gate you walked in. There's something else set up over here over the next couple days. We're going to be transforming our auditorium into into a, a tabernacle. You need to be registered in advance for that. So if you've not signed up there, I know the earliest two time slots are already full. Um, So we can take 15 people per time slot. We would encourage you today, if you have not signed up and you want to come and participate that, to go in the lobby and sign up. There'll be a sign out there. Um, Wednesday night is our regular uh, middle school, high school, and children's programming night. So this is um, on the children's side. This is something new for us parents, but we have children's programming from pre-K through fifth grade. We want you to bring your kids. Um, Thursday night is our, is we're going to have a communion service Friday, a Good Friday service. And then next Sunday, of course, is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Each one of those uh, weeknight events begin at 7, 6.30. So we want you to come and be a part of that. Um, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is only one of a, of a handful of stories that are in all four gospels. There are 10 or 11 stories, depending on which list you look at, that are mentioned in all four of the Gospels. Um, those are Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11, Mark 11: 11, 1 through 11. Luke 19, 28 to 44, and then John 12, 12 to 19. If you have a U version, if you follow along in the U version app, those are all listed for you um, in there. In most liturgical liturgical churches, Palm Sunday is celebrated by the blessing and distribution of palm branches. And those palm branches represent um, what the crowd waved when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and they scattered in front of him as he rode on the donkey. And many churches in mainstream Christianity, the Orthodox Church, Catholic Church, Lutheran, Methodist, Anglican, um, they distribute palm branches to their congregations While they're in their buildings on those days. And then Christians take those home. Um, They'll hang them on their wall. They'll use them as bookmarks in their Bible. And things like that. Uh, Let's read Mark 11 verses 1 to 10 together today. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and they found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord." Blessings on the coming king of our ancestor, David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So throughout this series, we've been talking about the concept of expectations. The Jewish people had expectations about their Messiah, generally. And they had expectations of Jesus, specifically in that role. And up to this point, Jesus has rigidly defied to meet their expectations. Up to this point, Jesus has refused their praise. He has simply not succumbed to their weak, faulty and simplistic understandings of who they thought he was. And Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem is a day that's all about expectations. The King is finally coming and he is going to make changes We said at the beginning of our series, Mark 1.1, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And remember, that word good news, we sometimes see it translated as gospel. And this good news, this phrase, this term gospel was a term for political or personal reporting. Right? So this was not the word gospel or the English phrase that we use for good news. That's not only a Christian thing. It's not only, it wasn't only reserved for Christians. The Roman Empire had their own version of the gospel. The Roman Empire had their own good news. And this was the good news of the Roman Empire. Caesar is the son of God and peace and security are found in him. This was the good news of the Roman Empire. So when Mark writes this phrase in Mark 1.1, he's really challenging the cultural narrative, the cultural story of the time. And also, you should know that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem wasn't really anything new. It wasn't something that was out of place for their culture. The Romans had many a triumph They had many a civil or military parade coming into a city. And these things were held to celebrate and sanctify the success of a military commander. So when there was a general that won a battle or won a war, they would throw him a triumph. And he would come into Rome in a parade. There were over 200 recorded triumphs in Roman history. This is... um, this is interesting about Roman triumphs. First came the captive leaders, allies, and soldiers, and sometimes their families, usually walking in chains. Some were destined for execution or further display. Their captured weapons, armor, gold, silver, or curious or exotic treasures were carted behind them, along with paintings and models depicting significant places and episodes of the war. So just imagine this parade, imagine this triumph coming in um, to Rome to celebrate Next in line, all on foot, came Rome's senators and magistrates, followed by the general's leaders in their red war robes, and then finally the general on his four-horse chariot. There might be a companion or a public slave that was accompanying him. His officers and elder sons rode horseback nearby. His unarmed soldiers followed in togas and laurel crowns, chanting, Yo, Triumph! singing songs. Somewhere in the, process, in the procession, two flawless white oxen were led for the sacrifice to Jupiter. All of this was done to the accompaniment of music, clouds, and incense, and the strewing of flowers. So, in a way, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, this is, this is something that the people would have been familiar with. They would have, there would have been a context for this parade but there's something different about Jesus' parade. There are lots of things different about Jesus' parade, about this triumphal entry. What we can do is we can look at all four of the gospel versions of this particular story for, for the really big picture. And this would be something I would encourage you to do throughout the week is kind of compare and contrast and, and see this story uh, for yourself. But we're going to talk through them. The first thing, um, Jesus makes preparations for his entrance into Jerusalem. As Jesus leaves Bethany, he sends two of his disciples into the town, the village of Bethpage, and he gives them detailed instructions to get a donkey on which he plans to ride into Jerusalem. And the disciples do this. Imagine what that would have been like for the disciples. You're going to go into this town, you're going to see a donkey tied up, Imagine being the disciples walking into town, seeing a donkey tied up. Someone's going to ask you, what are you doing? Tell them this, and they're going to give it to you. And all of those things happen. It must have been a little mind-blowing for the disciples. Jesus starts riding toward Jerusalem. The disciples put their garments on the donkey, and Jesus starts riding it. Jesus is deliberately staging his entrance into Jerusalem to fulfill Zechariah 9:9. This is on purpose. This isn't this isn't accidental. This is Zechariah 9:9. Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. See, this is different than a Roman general on a war chariot pulled by four horses. This is a king, this is a leader who comes on a donkey, and this was foretold, this was promised centuries earlier. Jesus' action is an open declaration that he is the Messiah. Openly statement, stating that he is the Messiah. Your king is coming to you. The people accompanying Jesus from Bethany spread their outer garments on the path, while others cut branches from the trees to help pave the way. So remember, these people are coming with Jesus. They're following Jesus as we've been reading through the book of Mark over the past few months. We've seen the crowds continue to follow Jesus. Wherever Jesus went... The crowds followed. When Jesus tried to get away from the crowds, the crowds followed. They're perpetually following him. So now, as he leaves Bethany on his way to Jerusalem, there is a mass of people behind him. And between all of these garments and clothes that they're throwing on the ground, Jesus is really getting um, what we would maybe call the red carpet treatment. Like they know something is up. This is a big moment. The cloaks on the road symbolize the crowd's submission to Jesus as king. So they're they're taking their outer garments off. They're putting them on the ground. They're submitting to him as king. And then by waving the palm branches, which is a Jewish national symbol, the people are greeting Jesus as the Davidic king. Remember, Jesus was from the line of King David. The Old Testament prophecies, when they talked about the Messiah, when they talked about the one who was going to deliver them, the ultimate king, he was going to be from the line of David. And most of the crowd at this point are probably understanding this in a, in a political and military sense. Remember the expectations. They had been enslaved by the Romans for decades And now here is their Messiah coming to free them, coming to deliver them, and it's finally here. Do you think the people are a little excited about this? To cast off the Romans from them? Author Jonathan Merritt writes this, The palm branches signaled the crowd's high expectations, a symbol lost largely on those of us who are separated from the culture and chronology of the story. Jewish history told of a man named Judas Maccabeus, a freedom fighter who entered Jerusalem 200 years prior to Jesus. As he approached, people waved palm branches and sang hymns. When Judas arrived, he defeated the Syrian king, recaptured the temple, expelled the pagans, and reigned for a century before the Romans took back the city. Imagine the excitement of that from 200 years earlier. Right? That's in, that's in their cultural narrative. That's in their cultural story. We talked about dates a few weeks ago. We think of 1776. We think of 1963. We think of momentary times in our history where something great happened. Something of note took place. So the people here can't help but think of what is going to happen When Jesus gets into Jerusalem, shows up at the temple and kicks the Romans out. Imagine their hopes. So the Jewish people are coming to Jerusalem for Passover. So again, imagine this crowd. He has a mass of people behind him coming from Bethany. And then all of the other people are coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And they join the celebration. They see what's taking place. They thought they were just coming for the Passover. No, we're actually coming to see the Messiah take his place. We're actually coming now to see the Messiah kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. They just join in the crowd. A little unsure, right, of what they're celebrating. And sometimes it can be really easy for us to join in the crowd John and I last year went to Memorial Stadium to see the Ohio State Nebraska game, and we were wearing we were wearing um, red, not because we're Nebraska fans, but we were wearing red. And from the from the back, like if you were to if you were to see us from the back wearing a red shirt, like your assumption would be, what team are we cheering for? Nebraska, right? As we, as we were there throughout the game, like it was really kind of funny, like all of the different songs and all of the different chants and all of the different things that were happening during the game, I want to say by about the third quarter, like I was singing along with all the Nebraska songs too. Right, because that's just, when you're in someone else's space, even if it's the other team, like I just couldn't help but sing that stupid Nebraska Cornhusker song, okay? I couldn't help but do it. Right? I was caught up in the excitement. And this and this kind of really matters for this story that we're reading. Because it can be really easy for people to be caught up in like the traditions of Christianity. It can be really easy for people to, to come to church. A few times a year. And and if that's you, I'm really glad you're here. Um, I don't have categories for people who only come twice a year. Like, I'm just glad you're here. But it can be really easy for us to be caught up in this. But the reality of it was, no matter how much we were singing the Cornhusker song, like 11 games out of 12, I'm a Cornhusker fan. One game out of 12, I'm just not going to be. We just happened to be at the one game out of 12. So I just wasn't a Nebraska fan that day. But I was singing their songs. I was involved and I was engaged in what was going on. I think for the people who are showing up in Jerusalem that day, they're not really sure what they're joining. They're not really sure what they're a part of. And if they have an idea, it's probably a faulty expectation. It's a hope that Jesus is going to roll into the temple, kick the Romans out, and that is going to be the story. So again, the two crowds meet, the enthusiasm mounts, and they begin to shout words of praise, celebrating the arrival of Israel's Savior, the Messiah. When we sang Hosanna earlier, and they sang Hosanna here, that literally means save us. Imagine being in that triumph Imagine being in that moment with Jesus at the center and everyone is calling out to him, save us, save us, save us, save us. This is Psalm 118:25 to 26. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So the people, the Jewish people, as they see all of this, they like dig back in their memory banks. And they're thinking of their old praise songs. They're thinking of their old triumph songs. And they start attributing all of these words to Jesus on the donkey. See, because they really thought, they really thought that this was their moment. And then, in the midst of all of that, those who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead began to tell everyone else, right? So imagine you're in that crowd from Bethany and someone else comes in and you're like, oh, you know, what is all this about? Why are all these people following this guy on the donkey? Well, you're not going to believe this. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's going to spread and the excitement is only going to continue to be ratcheted up. And then the Pharisees are beside themselves with envy. They tell Jesus, you have to stop this. You have to calm this down. And again, like when we read all four of these stories, Jesus says this, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. See, Jesus is, is, is no longer secretive. Jesus is no longer telling people to not say who he is, to not identify who he is. He no longer refuses their praise, which is a key moment in the life of Jesus. Because the Pharisees know that what's really taking place is that people are calling Jesus God. So here's here's one of those moments, and we're going to talk about it again in a minute. But here's one of those moments where Jesus has every opportunity in the world to put an end to the God talk nonsense. Jesus has an opportunity to say, oh, you know what, Pharisees, this is out of hand because I'm not really God, so so you're right. I'll I'll tell these people to settle down, but he doesn't do that. And then Luke tells us that as Jesus sees the city of Jerusalem, just imagine this, he's, he's going up into Jerusalem. It says when Jesus sees the city of Jerusalem, he weeps how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. See, Jesus knows something that they don't. Jesus knows something that the, that's beyond their expectations. Jesus knows that in 70 AD, the Romans are going to come in and they're going to get tired of this whole Jewish situation and they're going to utterly destroy Jerusalem. They're going to destroy the temple. See, the people had an expectation of Jesus as a great leader, as a great king who was going kick, to kick out the Romans but Jesus knew something else. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem, the entire city is stirred. There's another word that's sometimes used. It says the city's in turmoil. says maybe even the city trembles. I want you to imagine what that must have been like for all of the people, for the city to be like physically moving. I think if you've ever been to a football game like you know that right you know like when the stadium moves imagine the entire city because their king is here see we tend to think of palm sunday as a day of celebration we don't see a general on a chariot pulled by horses we see a king on a donkey and what jesus is doing is he is presenting his claim to be Messiah. He's demonstrating his credentials. He's orchestrating all of these events to be in fulfillment of scripture. He calls attention to himself. This is the first time that Jesus has called attention to himself. It's the only time that Jesus actually planned a public demonstration. Up to this point, he cautioned people to tell no one who he was and he deliberately avoided public scenes. But now Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet. And the responses that he receives as he comes into Jerusalem range from praise and adoration to statements of rejection and personal expectations. Palm Sunday is a, really a declaration of war by Jesus as he rolls into Jerusalem. He throws down the gauntlet and he pushes for a confrontation. He embraces who he is before the people. And again, this is why the Pharisees were so upset with him. Because they're all calling him God. The Pharisees know that. And here's a moment where he can stop it and he chooses not to. And at the end of the day, what do we have? on this triumphal entry. What happens? Well, verse 11 tells us. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. I want you to imagine that for a moment. You are among the the throng, probably of tens of thousands, walking with Jesus, welcoming Jesus. Like he's going to go to the temple. He's going to take his rightful place. He's going to throw the Romans out. The people are finally going to be freed from the Roman oppression. And instead, Jesus just goes to the temple looks around and leaves. Imagine the disappointment. Imagine having your hopes dashed in this moment. See, rather than defeating Rome, Jesus came to defeat Satan, sin, and death. That was his ultimate purpose. And I know there's some debate. We've, we've maybe asked the question before, how could the crowds welcome him on Sunday? Um, how could they go from welcome to crucify him on Thursday? And there's been debate, were they the same people? Because certainly some of the people would have left Jerusalem by that time. But I think it's a valid question. It's something that we have to consider. Why would the crowds welcome him on Sunday? and then shout, crucify him on Thursday. Could it be because their expectations weren't met? Could it be that he was just, in their minds, just another false Messiah? Another letdown? And on Palm Sunday, the question that we've been asking for 11 weeks now, who is Jesus is asked by those gathered. Who is he? Is he the resurrected John the Baptist? Is he Elijah? Is he one of the other prophets? Is he a teacher? Is he just a great moral man? Matthew began his gospel, his good news, with the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Mark began his with the words, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Luke's gospel is a letter written to someone Theophilus, so he could be certain of the truth of everything that he had been taught. See, each one of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and I'm going to read John's beginning in a second. Each one of the gospel writers are telling us something about Jesus at the beginning of their letters. These are the things that we cling to. These are the things that we need to hold to when we ask the question, who is Jesus? When we are asked the question, who is Jesus? And John says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell you about the light, so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light, he was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the people didn't recognize him. Do you catch that? See, that's why the people were asking throughout the gospel of Mark, who is Jesus? Who is he? Because they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him because his, their expectations are faulty. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. See, all of these gospel writers in the beginning words of their writing are telling us who Jesus is. They're telling us who they believed Jesus to be. They're telling us who they knew Jesus to be. Some of whom were firsthand, had firsthand experiences with Jesus. That was Matthew's story. That was John's story. Mark wrote his gospel from Peter, a firsthand experience. And Luke is someone who examined the facts. That was his job. Each one of these people, each one of these writers are telling us who Jesus is. They're asking us to, they're giving us the answer to the question, who is Jesus? And as I think about that triumphal entry on that day into Jerusalem, I think it's actually the second best triumph in the Bible. The first one hasn't happened yet. It's in Revelation 21. And it says this, this is John, the same John who wrote the gospel of John, the same John who was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Do you hear the parade language? I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. The one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is a parade that everyone is going to see. Not just for the people who are in Jerusalem at a certain time, in a certain space. But this this parade at the end of time, when Jesus returns, is one that we are all going to participate in. And as the people are asking this question on that triumphal entry day 2,000 years ago, who is Jesus? They missed out that Jesus was showing them who he was through his actions, through his words, through his love, and through his compassion. And Jesus has entered into the world to save us from chaos, death, and destruction. And much of this chaos, death, and destruction is is our own fault. We are causers of this chaos, death, and destruction. And he's coming back. And we're not going to welcome him with with palm branches or with clothes. Each one of us is going to have the opportunity to welcome him with our very lives. With our lives that have been cast aside. Over the past few weeks, we've read the verses I'm about to share a few different times because they're critical to our understanding of what it means for us to be a follower of Christ. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Following Jesus is not about being caught up in a celebration. It's not about only hearing the things that he has done and and kind of deciding to be a part of it without really joining in. Following Jesus is about being caught up in a lifestyle because of the one that we celebrate. It's about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's about being different because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And my hope and my prayer for you on, on this day, on this Palm Sunday, when we think about this triumphal entry and we long for the, the final triumphal entry, that when he comes, we will, we'll be ready. Again, not with palm branches, not with our clothes, but we'll be ready because we have given him our lives. We have given him our thoughts and our words and our deeds in anticipation of the one who is coming to free us from all things. Let's pray. God, I just ask that that we would choose to follow you. That for those who who are still waiting to see who you are, to see if you were going to meet their expectations, I pray that they would surrender those expectations to you. That they would see your son Jesus for who he really is, our deliverer from sin. That we would find satisfaction, that delivery from sin is enough. that we would cast off our lives in anticipation of your return. We wouldn't go into a bunker and just wait. But we would demonstrate the reality of who you are and what you've done for us as we wait. That we would proclaim you faithfully. God, you have saved us. You have delivered us through your son, Jesus. And we look forward to the moment where you will rescue all of us. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.